He's alive and he is good. Amen. Hey, uh, I'd like to ask the Desperation Leadership Academy to come on up here. If you're in DLA, will you come join me on the stairs? This is, uh, this is the team that has uh, been here since January. They are unbelievable, unbelievable team. And uh, I just want you to stretch out your hands. And uh, we're going to pray for them. They have been praying for you for the last six months. They uh, have been working diligently to prepare the way for you. And so uh, I'm just, I'm just going to pray for them. But will you stretch out your hands and let's pray for them. Jesus, we pray your blessing on every man and every woman in DLA, God. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would touch them. We pray that as they lead a generation, Lord God, that they would never look back. We pray for the fire of God to be in their heart. Lord Jesus, we pray for strength. God, we pray that you would bless them for their sacrifice. Lord God, that you would uh, fill them as they've been equipped, continue to serve. Let them, let them raise up a prayer movement, a holiness movement, a mission movement. Amen. Amen. Let's give these guys a big shout. Thank you, friends. Love you guys. Good, 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 good. Look at that. They love you. They love you. That's right. right. Under your seats, you have a DVD. It looks like this. You may now open your white bag, pull it out. There it is now. There you go. Now don't pull anything else out. No candles. Just leave the candle in there. There you go. Pull out the DVD. Let's open it up together and let's read it. Over the last number of years, we've had 25 to 30,000 young people take this. Some of you have probably taken this before. Uh, each year, we take it over and over again, even if you have in the past, to renew the commitment to live these things. You're going to be given an opportunity at the end of the evening to sign this vow, and hopefully over the next 40 minutes, uh, it will be weighty on your heart as you consider that it's not done flippantly, but that it's done with reverence and it's done with sincerity. The first one is this, desperate pursuit. It says, God visits desperate people. The desperate ones are those that have tasted of God and long for more of Him and His purpose. God reveals Himself to people that ache, pray, and fast. He draws near to those who draw near to Him. In view of that, I vow to live in desperate pursuit of God and daily carve out a regular time to be with God, to read my Bible and pray. Second one is this, diligent prayer. God delights in my prayers. Every prayer matters to God. My prayers draw me closer to God and advance the kingdom of God. It is my conviction that God wants his sons and daughters to always pray and not give up. In view of that, I vow to be a person that diligently prays and regularly participates in scheduled prayer meetings. Consecrated heart, God wants me to be holy. He is holy and perfect. My choices matter to God. Though, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I choose to bend my life around God so that my daily choices reflect Him. In view of that, I vow to live each day 
with a consecrated heart and will voluntarily forego earthly things for the sake of reflecting God. Focus life. God has a purpose for my life. God wants me to play a strategic role in advancing the kingdom of God while I'm alive. There is a cosmic battle between light and darkness. And in view of that, I vow to be an extension of God's light to my family, my church, and my school. So in just a little bit, right there is a place for you to sign and date it. And uh, on here is a DVD that just has some um, videos and some talks uh, for you when you get home that will help you with these big ideas. There's just like little seminars about how to, how to have a quiet time, how to lead a prayer meeting, um, a little bit about fasting, a little bit about writing out your life mission statement, how to do that when you get home. And so there's some real practical uh, things on that DVD that will be uh, helpful for you, whether you put them in your computer or your television when you get home. And we're going to sign this vow at the end, but I wanted to, I wanted to have it out because I'm not so much going to teach tonight about the content of what's in the vow as much as I'm going to talk about your posture of heart preparing to go in to your mission field. As you prepare to go home, as you prepare to go to your high school, your junior high, your college, your church, your family, your environment, your city, your world, how do we live this out? What does it look like? What does it feel like? If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We'll start in verse 18. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him, him being Jesus, and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him. And so did his disciples. Verse 20, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. She tur- Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Father, we come before you tonight. We're so thankful for the miracles that you've done here. God, we live in literal gratitude as your presence has drawn so near to us. and As there's a vibrant buoyancy in our heart as we think about knowing Jesus. We think about praying diligently as we think about giving ourselves to the poor and the hurting. As we think about being set apart and consecrated like Glenn talked about and being carriers of your presence. God, we're so thankful for your love. We're so thankful for the privilege and the opportunity to come around other kindred spirits and marvelous comrades that love you from all over America and come together in one room and look each other in the eyes for a few days and have our hearts kind of lit up by you as we meditate on you and as we pray and as we hang out with others that want to go where we're going. And now, Jesus, as we prepare to go into the mission field that you have called each one of us, as we prepare to live out 
these ideas, not in a church, not together, but in different areas, in junior highs and high schools and colleges, where this is not the anthem of the heart, where these ideas are not a standard, but where these ideas are offensive and perceived oftentimes as arrogant, it's naive, it's foolish. God, we, we want to be authentic as we go. And we don't want to return next year and have not literally lit up our world. May it never be, God. May we return. May we return having lit up. Having lived, prayed, believed these things. God, let us put action to our worship. God, we want to put action. We want to be transformed, God. Amen. So here's the story. Jesus has been healing people. Jesus has just healed a leper. And in this story, Jesus has just actually healed a centurion servant. He's already been healing the demon-possessed. A paralyzed man that was unable to walk, suddenly healed. This man, we know from Mark chapter 5, that this guy's name is Jairus. This guy, Jairus, comes and he says, Jesus... He says, my little girl, my daughter, I can only imagine what, I mean, a little girl, they, we know she was about 12 years old. The guy's literally desperate, and he comes and he asks, Jesus, will you help me? And we know that those that ask receive, that the reason why Jairus receives this blessing is because he asks. And just as a side note, one of the great invitations that you and I have as we return home is to be askers, is to look at the Messiah, is to look at God and ask, even when no one else is asking, that is a great opportunity. And it's Jairus who receives this, and he initiated with Jesus. Jesus didn't come find Jairus. No, Jairus comes to Jesus, and because Jairus comes to Jesus, inevitably a miracle ends up happening. But Jairus comes to Jesus, he says, please, can you come help me? And it's kind of an interesting story because Jesus is active in healing. When we read right through Matthew, we're we're, we're reading story after story after story of people being healed. and The demon possessed, all of a sudden being set free. And that's the context. And I don't know what you read when you read this, but there's kind of a story within the story here. Because Jairus comes to Jesus and Jairus says, Jesus, come. Come, can you help my little girl? And, and as we read the story, it's actually another woman enters the story as Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. So Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house. And another woman comes in. She touches Jesus' cloak, thinking, if I only touch the hem of his garment, the edge of his cloak, I'll be healed. And the phenomenal part of that story is that she gets healed. It's awesome. 
But if I'm Jairus, if I'm Jairus, and all of a sudden, a woman steps in, and she's healed, and I watch it, and I know that this Messiah is healing people like crazy. He's on the way to my house, and this woman stepped in, and he healed her. I'm pretty jazzed about getting home. My confidence is high. If that happens to me, I'm thinking, holy smokes, good day. This isn't like, hey Jesus, I've read the scriptures, you know, and I've, I've, I've heard that there might be a Messiah one day that would come and that would literally, you know, liberate Israel and, and, and I'm hoping that it might be you and I'm hoping that you might be one that helps people and that you might do miracles. No, no, no. And it's not even, hey Jesus, there's rumor that a year ago you healed someone. It's not even yesterday, hey Jesus... There's a rumor that yesterday, no, we're talking on his way to the house, he heals. Oh, if you're Jairus, you've got so many desperation band songs going on in your head. You're going, I'm coming your way. I mean, it's we will overcome. It's today's the day. It's I refuse to be denied. It's ha ha ha, count me in. That's what's going on. If you're on your way, And you're hoping and expecting a miracle. In that moment, I guarantee you, Jairus is thinking, Jesus, he not only is a healer, I can't even get home to my house without him stopping and healing a lady. Oh, this is good. And I interrupted him. I came and asked him and he decided he would come with me. There's a good chance my little girl's going to get healed. They get to the house. They arrive. Flutes are playing. Flutes in this culture symbolize mourning. It wasn't, you know, the marching band for the high school football team like we think of, you know. It's, it, was, it was mourning. It was sadness. She's already died. Noisy crowd. And they say to Jairus, you know, uh, the girl's dying and she's dead. It's really interesting because Jesus here makes a statement. He goes, the girl's not dead, only sleeping. That's an intriguing moment because if you are in the house and you've seen the girl with your eyes... And you know that she's dead. And the rabbi shows up who's healing people. Supernatural things follow. He's the one who calms the storms. He's the one who audible voices speak from heaven. He's the one that when 5,000 people, men are hungry, he just provides for them and their families. He's the one that supernaturally is doing all these wonderful things. He's the one that the leader of our house, Jairus, has gone to go get. We know it. We know he's the healer. We know he's the one and he's arrived. And and, and it's interesting. There's a part of me that just wonders. I I wish that we read in the story, if when we were reading through Matthew or when we're in Matthew 9 or maybe in Mark 5 where it tells the story, wouldn't it be cool if we're reading the story and it read about how Jairus stepped in and he goes, you guys, Wouldn't that be awesome? 
What if he was like, you guys shut up. You don't know who this guy is. On the way here, Jesus healed a Canaanite woman. He's literally healing lepers. This guy's awesome. Jesus, don't listen to my crazy flute players and friends. They're nuts. Jesus, go get her. I mean, that would be awesome. I mean, that, that, would, be, that would be cool. I don't know Jairus' full response. It just goes silent about Jairus. Jairus just, there's, there's nothing there. But, but I think, I think if we were to try to figure out what it looks like to be a Christ follower, what it looks like in the present tense today in 2009, if we now in kind of hindsight, we can see this story and we get all the stories of Jesus. We get to read so much about him. We've got 2000 years to pull from. I I think that if we were going to try to obey the scriptures, that we probably do well to take Jesus at his word. So when Jesus says, she's not dead, only sleeping. The Christ follower, the person, the man, the woman that's full of faith, doesn't look at that and scoff. The man or woman of God right there looks at that and goes, ha ha, good day. He said it, I believe it, that's good. And so for you and for me, We want to be the kind of people that go, if Jesus says it, if it's declared, whether it's the Sermon on the Mount, whether it's uh, any, any, any words of Jesus, we just take it to be true. We just, we believe it and we know it to be true. The problem comes in verse 24. Because Jairus steps into a culture. He steps home. He gets back to his house. And the mourners are mourning. The people have seen the dead girl. And when Jesus, our Jesus, your Jesus, the one you believe in, the one that you pray to, the one that you sing songs to, the one that you love, the one that you believe is returning, when that Jesus says, only sleeping, they laugh. Ha. <laughs> Mock. Why? Well, because with their eyes, they've seen. She's dead. And it's not just what they have seen. It's the absence of what Jairus has seen. They have not seen. That he is healed. They weren't, they weren't there on the way where Jesus has just healed the Canaanite woman. They're missing. They're missing the stories of all that Jesus is. All that he's done. And so they look and they go, based upon what we've seen and our intellect. They scoff. They mock They look at Jesus and they're like, who do you think you are? We've seen him. We've seen the girl. We know that she's died. Interesting thing for you and for me is that you've had this encounter here. You've tasted and seen that Jesus is good on your own this weekend. You know him to be true. And 
And we come here and we celebrate. And we sing the songs at the top of our lungs. I mean, we've got it. We're singing the song. And Senor Blah. I mean, we got it. That's us. And we have the moments and we cry and we give and we look at each other and we go, oh, and you love God and I love God and let's be Facebook friends and we have the moments. And we start to run movies in our head that when we go, once we leave this place, we're going to glow. We're going to just light up the world. Watch me glow. Do you feel it? see it? But whether you talk to a man who's in his 70s or a man in his 40s or a man who's 15 years old, almost at every level, they can reply and tell you that when you leave a moment like this, you do not return home to a wake of success, a wake of thrill, a wake of delight, where everybody looks at you and goes, thank you, you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you for pressing into holiness. Thank you for leading in prayer. Thank you for spending time with God. Thank you for having a mission. Thank you for trying to save my lost soul. You're awesome. You don't just show up at home and all of a sudden everybody's like, I want to join your bandwagon. Give me the trucker hat that says D-Band, I'm in. You and I know what we face. We go back to a culture that scoffs. Go back to a culture that mocks. And if you are lighting up the world, if there is something that has a remnant of Christ Jesus. If you do look like Jesus, they will treat you like they treated him. Because they haven't seen Jesus. And in their worlds, narcissism, it's all about me. Materialism, it's all about what I can get. Sexual freedom and immorality. Those are the philosophies in teenage America that rule the day. And a light, a light of the, for the, of the gospel going into the darkness. It's not a glow of pretty kids that their faces shine like Moses's. And people suddenly go, oh, there she is. Oh, there he is. No. It's it's, it's a little more raw than that. It's a little more gutsy. It's, it's, It's a little rougher than that. If you face what I faced as a junior high and high school kid, it's not rose colored. Oh, yeah. Surely as they laughed at our Savior, they'll laugh at you. Surely as they mocked the apostles, they'll mock you. Surely as you come in with a gospel that cuts against human human, uh, greed and pride and arrogance, and you come in with a decision for righteousness, giving, selflessness, Saying that the Bible is true, that prayer is real, that Jesus is faithful, 
that heaven is for real, hell is hot and a long time? Yeah, they'll be ticked. And there will be uncomfortable moments for the radical Christian, for the vow keeper, for the disciple, for the Jesus lover. I'm not talking about the dude that sings the songs on Wednesday night and then goes to the, to the school and does his deal, lives like everybody else, comes back to church, winks at the youth pastor, high five, yeah, I'm in, count me in, man, on Wednesday night, and then goes back and it's just like everybody else. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about that cat. That cat will be fine. You can live in this society like that and be fine. Everybody will accept you. America goes, no problem. Why? Well, because you're going to be puked out of heaven one day anyway, so you're like the rest of us. No problems there. I'll tell you where the problem is. It's the kid with a mandate to be like Jesus. It's the kid with a mission. He's got only a couple years left at his high school. He's going to make it hard to go to hell from that high school. He's going to pray for that high school. He's got a vision to look and talk like Jesus and to be kind to the ones that no one wants to be kind to. I'll tell you this. The young man or young woman that goes into that environment will be laughed at just like they laughed at our Savior. They don't know. They haven't tasted and seen that he's good. You look at church history, right from the apostles down to the early church, persecution, mockery, it exists all the way through, all the way through. In fact, the early Christians, it's interesting, when they would go into the Colosseum, uh, they, would, the Col- and, and they, they would take the Christians and feed them to the lions. It was a form of, obviously, mocking Christianity, really, mocking God in a sense, and Persecuting Christians. And the Christians would, in a way, to uh, just say, my life is his. They started going like this. Right as the lions were about to um, eat them, they would start to say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they would try to get the whole crowd in the Colosseum to repeat with them. And so one by one, they were fed to the lions. And, and the Christians had a pact. They all said the same thing. And right before they were eaten, they would say, in the name of the Father, and they'd point to heaven. And they'd say, in the, son, in the, in the name of the Son, and they'd point to the earth. And then it's meaning God came to earth, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, meaning he's everywhere. He's all here. And then... That would be the symbol that they would do before they were eaten by lions. Not too long after it became, and they did it as an act of worship, as an act of, I give my life in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not long, you know, became the symbol of a Christian. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. People made fun of them, killed them. I'm not trying to scare you today, but I'll tell you this, man. Our vision, our life, doesn't come from a better life. It comes from we love Jesus and we give everything for him. And if that be true of you, and it's true of some of you, what's going on inside of your heart this weekend? 
what's being rekindled inside of your heart this weekend. It's not loyalty to, you know, a cause. It's not connectivity, you know, to another friend as much as it was inside of some of you. This, this, this loyalty that's being developed towards a man named Jesus. And you're about to give all for him. And I'm so excited and so eager for your success that I just want to look at you and go, it's not going to be popcorn and peanuts when you get home. If you read, people have always turned back. In John 6, 66, it says that many left Jesus. They turned back. It got too hard and they turned away. And I'm just telling you that if you live this life, if you spend time with Jesus, if you have a commitment to a prayer movement, if you're committed to living holy and godly and living different, I mean, not engaging in the things of the world, and you choose that, and you choose to have a mission, and your mission is the exact fulfillment of what God's called you to, you will have trouble. You will have awkward moments galore. I mean, it's just funny. I mean, it's just, there's so many moments as you are walking through your high school and I like all the cute stories from the kid that, you know, carries his Bible to the one who leads the big C at the pole rally, you know, to the one who gets slapped in the face and they do the literal, you know, turn the other cheek. I love all the stories. I want to, all of them are awesome. I've heard them and told them for years. But in those, there's, there's, there's always the awkward, socially unacceptable moment where you bump up. I mean, literally, it's awkward. Jesus was Mr. Awkward. I mean, come on, Jesus. You really going to build a whip and like tear up the temple? That's going to create some awkward moments. Uh-huh. Jesus, you really going to call the religious guys vipers, snakes? It's going to create some awkward moments. Uh-huh. Jesus, uh, you're really going to look at Pilate in the face and say, you have no power over me? He's going to kill you. It's going to be awkward. But we are committed to a man named Jesus. He is God. And surely, as he had awkward moments, so will you. Surely as you go to spend time with God daily. Oh, there will be such a stigma to you. People will be like, come on, you holy roller. Come on, you freak. Come on, man. And there will be debate about the, about, about the Bible. There will be debate about the way you spend your time. There will be all kinds of people looking at you going, dude, why are you... What are you, what, why are you so mystical and weird? There will be a plurality of religions. They'll look at you and say, ah, oh, it's all the same. You will face trouble. When you go to lead a prayer movement, oh, oh man. And you start inviting people and they're like, a what? Prayer meeting. Like church? Uh-huh. Why? Because when we pray, God does stuff. Like what? Like, we went, we got a vision for all, uh, so and 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 so to know Jesus. And here's the other thing. We're praying for, uh, our, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but we're praying that God would do something in our school that would literally bring in all kinds of people to know God. And kids are like, huh? And you're like, no, this is really what I want to give my life to. And kids are like, some kids will be like, sweet. 
And they'll come and you'll start praying and they'll be like, oh. I'm just telling you. Some kids will say, I'm in, and they'll be there for a week and then they're gone. And you'll be like, ah, I can't believe that no one's praying with me. I'm just, I, I've loved, I've watched so many kids lead prayer movements and, and some of them have these stories that are epic and awesome. And, and the, the reality is, is that when you go back, some of you are going to have stories and you're going to be like, dude, blog this. Guess what God did? That's awesome. I'm so happy. I, I'm so thankful that some of you will have this. Many of you, most of you will have this. You're going to go back. And you're going to just take the scriptures to be true and believe that when Jesus said to ask and seek and knock, and when he said that those that ask will receive, that those that seek will find, those that knock, the door will be open, and you're going to have to take Jesus at his word and stay the course just like little oxen. Day after day, month after month. I know you want to be a stallion and have everybody say you're awesome. Most Christians aren't stallions, we're oxen. Just like kind of slow and sluggish. And we pull, 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 pull. That's the way Paul talks. He doesn't come to the end of his life and he's like, Dudes, the Christian journey. Rock stars, athletes, awesome fame. He goes, It's like a soldier. Gets the tar kicked out of him. It's like an athlete that practices all the time. It's like a farmer that works every day and never gets praise. And you go back to lead a prayer movement. I tell you this. There'll be glorious moments. There'll be moments that will be awesome. There'll be moments that will be hard. And you will go against culture. There will be you will be mocked. Consecrated heart. Oh, man. Even church people will be mad at you for talking about that. Define it. So what are you talking about? Well, I don't know. I think that uh, I can get away with that. And I don't want you to not do it because then it makes me feel... Oh, it's, it's the beginning of madness. When you just start to say, it's not so much about what I can't do. I'm not talking about a legalistic law. I just, I just want to look like Jesus. I just want to be like Jesus. And as I pray and as I look and try to translate that into the way that I live... For me, this is good, this is not. This is, I'm not, I'm not going there. And people will be like, well, what's wrong with you? And you're just like, it's not, it's, leave me alone. I, it's nothing about that for you. I'm not trying to put anything on you. I just, I just feel like this is what Jesus would do if you were alive today. And you will get mocked. Holiness is lonely for most people. It's lonely. Because you start to set a standard and people get bugged by it. They're just, why, why, why can't you just be like us? Sound familiar? Doesn't it sound exactly like what they wanted of Jesus? Jesus, why? Come on, dude. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why you gotta be so much like the Father? Why you get, as you lift the standard and you start to meditate on God, reflect God, you'll be laughed at. It's going to be a part of your story. (laughs) There's one thriller to go, isn't it, guys? (laughs) What a glorious message you're bringing tonight, David. Here's what's going on. Here's 
here's, here's what I'm desperate for, guys. I've just seen enough real disciples. Guys that are 16, 17, 18, 19. Guys that are 27, 28, 29. People that are 36, 37, 38, 39. People that are in their 50s. I got a close friend that's in his 60s. I know a guy comes to Revival Town that's in his 70s. And they are just authentic enough disciples that live this out. That have been faithful with it year after year after year. That I'm just dumb enough to believe that we can too. That I'm just crazy enough to believe that we actually can live these things. But I don't want to have a fairy tale moment in the mountains of Colorado with rock stars and great buildings and flags coming down and lights and f- food and all this stuff and have all of us think that we're going to go back and it's just this festive zippity doo da zippity a. You're going to go back and they crucified the guy that we're trying to be like. That's our story. I just, you go back and you tie to yourself and you try to look like Jesus and you're kind of being mocked. The scoffers will arise. The cynics will come out of nowhere. And I'm not happy about that. I just seen it. I read about it right here. I know that it's true. I watch it. You go back and you start talking about, I'm going to be focused and I'm going to fulfill the mandate of God on my life. And I tell you, your friends will say, no. There's something inside of them that will say, waste your life like we are. The, the, those that have not seen and I want them to see. We want our, they are our mission. We're not trying to be better than them. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, if they say no to God, if they say no, we don't want him. They will Try to get you to be like them. And they will say, kick back, chill out, do something for yourself, akuna matata, whatever. No worries, man. Come on. Don't press so hard. Don't be so set apart. Don't be so distinct. Don't be so weird. Don't live for another age. Don't think about eternity. Think about now. Don't give your life to a rabbi that died on a cross 2,000 years ago and you're hoping for him to return one day. You're crazy. Those conversations are coming and I'm telling you tonight to prepare you. It's coming. It's coming. And I love these moments. This is a moment where we... Lift our swords and we go, yeah, let's go. And And then the battle comes and our closest friends are losing ground. It gets discouraging. It's hard. I love the victories. I know. I love it when people are healed and I love it when the prayer meetings explode and I love it when someone gets to know Christ in a phenomenal way and they go into a, you know, this season of the devotional life where all of a sudden they could care less about media because they're going so deep in God and I love it when someone finally goes, this is my calling and I'm connecting with and God's doing it and I love it when churches explode and I love it when we have victory and there's awesome days where we have victory but what I found is that we spend a lot of our time talking about that victory and I know in my life when I hang out with real people, we got a lot of hard days and a lot of people turn back and a lot of people aren't prepared aren't ready to face the onslaught of mockery the moments where they laugh the moments where they look at them and say 
And in those moments, those crisis moments, those awkward moments, if you don't have this in your heart, if you don't know this, you'll cater in and instead of pushing back and going, no, I am going to be a Christ follower. No, I am giving everything. No, I am going to be a man of prayer. No, I am going to know God. No, I am going to be holy. No, I am going to lead people to Jesus. I am going to be missional. I am going to be focused. Instead, the awkwardness goes, okay, what are we doing tonight? Uh, okay, I'll do what you do. Okay, I'll lower my standard. Okay, I'll make out with you. Okay, I'll do whatever it is. Okay, I'll watch that movie. Okay, let's go get drunk and I'll pray later. No! 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 I just believe we need some of the young men and women that face these moments and they've got the the, the gumption, they've got the oomph, they've got the, the knowledge that this moment's going to happen. So you get to face it and you're, it's in the moment and it's right there. And when the temptation to give in to lethargy, the temptation to give in to sin arises and you're staring at it. If you know who God is and you know that they persecuted Jesus and they know that they persecuted the apostles and you know that all through the early church they were persecuted and you know that the radicals of the day in every generation have been mocked, there'll be something that rises in you that goes, All right, I'm not giving in. All right, I'm going a different way. I will choose the narrow way. The broad way holds no power on me. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, For it seems to me that God has... Verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like men contemned to die in in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe. To angels as well as to men. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ. I like the way the Message Bible says it. It says, it seems to me that God has put us who bear his message. Those of us who are messengers. Those who have it inside of us. On stage in a theater in which no one wants to buy a ticket. (laughs) Talk about lonely. Uh Uh-huh. Here it is, 7 o'clock, Friday night, selling tickets. (sighs) Nobody shows. That's what you feel like. That moment, that's what Paul's trying to say. It's like, they've become weird. Nobody came. We're, we're, we're something everyone stands around and stares at like an accident in the street. Huh? What's with that fanatic? What's with that young lady who's so committed to be sexually pure that I, I, don't, I just think that's weird. I just think she's like overboard. Well, what do you mean overboard? Well... I mean, like, I mean, there's, there's a level of just kind of like not being so uptight, you know? And wh- what do you mean, like uptight? Well, I, uh, it just bugs me that she's like so committed to sexual purity. I mean, like, who does she think she is? Well, she's a Jesus follower 
who's Jesus has really laid out the way that the things you know are supposed to be, and it's actually even one of the Ten Commandments. <sighs> Fine, bring it back to that. Oh my God. I know it's goofy to do it like that, but let me tell you, that's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, you're not going to be thrown to lions in the Coliseum. I know some of you got real excited and you started thinking about Braveheart and all that. You know, some of you men were like, gladiator, I must die for Christ. That's probably not going to happen. I mean, maybe, I hope so. Me and my brother-in-law will be on the front line with you. But, probably the conversation is going to be more like, what is with him? What is with her? Like, ugh. And we kind of giggle about that, but most of us so care about what people think of us that most of the time we cater into being like, okay, what? All right, what do I got to do? I want to be accepted. Where something everyone stands around and stares at like an accident in the street. We are the Messiah's misfits. That will be a t-shirt, Desperation 2010. We are the Messiah's misfits. I love that. Me and Dan, we're going to make one that say the Messiah's midgets. You know, like, we are like... We... (laughs) It's just, it's a statement. It's just like, Paul's, what Paul's saying is, he's going, we're just, we're so different. We just, we just, we just do life so different. The world looks at us and goes, I don't get it. I don't understand. You're weird. Strange. And I just, my prayer for you is that we don't do the thing here. Sing the song. Take the vow. Pray the prayer. Eat the pizza with the friends. Get on the bed and sing, I'm coming your way. All the way home to our boyfriend and be like, your way. And it just means nothing. <laughs> I'm talking about where, where the things that we're singing, the anthems that are going in, the songs, the Bible. What we're talking about is not rhetoric and theory and philosophy. It's, it's our testimony. It's our life. It's who we are. My hope is that you go back with mission in your mind for more than yourself. Oh, I want you to live the vow. Oh, we've prayed, we've prayed that for years. We've had kids praying in the prayer center for a generation of young people that lived the vow for, for six, seven, eight years. I, I want it. But I hope that it's more than that. I, I hope you go back and I hope you look at your friends. And you're broken. You want them to know Jesus because you know Jesus and you know That he's awesome. You go back to your school and you have a vision for your school not to be dead in Christ. Not to be dead in God. Not to be dead in spirituality. You come back. All these things are going inside of you. You start to put feet to in your school. People will look at you. What are you praying for, man? I'm praying for every kid to know God. I'm praying 
we're praying for a move. We're praying, we're, we're praying for salvations. We're praying for healings. We're praying for this. We're praying for that. And some of your church friends will look at you and be like, dude, come on, give up, man. It's dead. You wink back at him and quote Jesus. No, only sleeping. <laughs> Who knows? The rest of the story in verse 25 says, And the crowd had been put outside. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. And this is the great moment. And she got up. So Jesus goes in. He does what he says he would do. And if we take Jesus at his word, he always does what he says he'll do. And here's the reality. If you believe that, and you go back declaring that, you become a Messiah's misfit. You go back, and you take Jesus at his word, and you believe that he's returning, like he said he would. And you believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and working inside of you, like Jesus said that he would. And you believe that it was better for Jesus to go and the Holy Spirit come inside of you because greater things will be done through us than even Jesus. You believe those things and you take Jesus at his word and you will bump up to mockery, awkward moments. And here's the great part. You will run into people that look at you and after they watch, not for a week, no one will be ca- no one will be fascinated for, uh, if you're on fire for God for a week. You do it for a month, and they'll be like, "When's this going to wear off?" But I'm talking as month as it turns into months and years. Here's what happens: your friends will start to not reject you, but in time, they'll start to go, "Huh." That guy has been talking about God for years. That girl has been talking about how her prayers are changing things for years. And she's actually got some stories about it. And and that person has lived without drunkenness, immorality, and rage for years. And there will be a moment where the very ones that once mocked you will come and say, so tell me more. Who is this man that you love? Look at this. Verse 26. News of this. News of the story of the girl that got raised. News of this spread through all that region. Wait a minute. The news of what Jesus did spread throughout the region. Who was there? The mockers. The scoffers. Those that went. You're crazy. The only one, we're talking Jesus, the, the three disciples, and scoffers. Those are the only ones in the house. And the news spreads. The same people that mocked saw reality. He is pretty awesome. He did raise the girl from the dead. He, what, he did what he said he would do. Ah! And they become the heralders. 
We live in the mocking age. We live in the age. We live in the moment right now. We live in the time mostly where it's people going, "Uh uh-uh, and scoffing. And we say, no, no, God does do miracles. No, God is alive. No, Jesus really did die on a cross. No, Jesus really is holy. No, Jesus really is returning. No, heaven really is awesome. No, you really don't want to go to heaven. We live in that age. And right now you're in the time where people will mostly scoff. Where that is happening. But there will be a day where every single thing that Jesus said he would do will come to fruition. And we will watch it unfold like a story. And we'll watch it. And there's going to be a moment. I'm just telling you this. And I I say this with fear and trembling. But there's going to be a moment where everyone who once mocked God will live in regrets. There will be a moment... Psalm 2 declares it. Psalm 2 declares a moment. Let me just read it to you. Psalm 2. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They gather their fists. The kings of the earth, the rich, the famous, those with power, they hold their fists out towards God. And they say, let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned. Here it is. So they say, we can do it our way. We don't need God. And this, this psalm is called a messianic psalm. It means that there's a f- fulfillment in Jesus, but there's coming a fulfillment in the end. And here's what happens right here. It says, the one enthroned, God. Who's the one? It's capital O. The one enthroned, here it is. The one enthroned looks at the ones who have been scoffing and mocking and holding out their hands to God and saying, we'll do it our way. We don't need God. We'll live for the age. We'll live for now. The one enthroned, look at this. It says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. He laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. There's a day. There's a day where God will finally say enough is enough. And our God, the one that we love, the one, he'll look and he'll say enough. And he will laugh. And he will say, fine. And he will say, you think you had power? You think you, you people? No. I am God and I have set Jesus enthroned and he will rule and reign forever. And it will be a scary mock. It will be a moment that will be really, really hard for a whole lot of people to hear. Charles Spurgeon says that it is the mock, it is the laugh that will echo through the corridors of, of, of eternity. Because it's a scary moment when God goes, now I laugh because I am God and I will redeem my people. And my son will sit on a throne forever. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you. (sighs) Blessed are you when people insult you. Blessed are you in your lifetime when people insult you. Jesus, blessed are you, your life. Blessed are you. Put your name in there. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And here it is. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then they persecuted Jesus in the same fashion. And then they killed all of the disciples. And then they persecuted the early church. And round and round we go. 
Friends, it's our privilege. It's our blessing by our Messiah to go through whatever turbulent days you go through. Those moments are not the moments to recant, give up, and slow down. Those are the moments for strength to come in and say, I'm blessed because of this moment, and I will move forward. Even though you mock me, even though you, you scoff at me, yea, I trust God to the end. Will you stand with me? Will you take that DVD and place it over your head? Hold it up like this. We're going to take this vow together. Some of you are going to take it. Some of you aren't. Don't take it if you don't want to live it. And I mean it. Don't. I, last thing I want to do is stand before God one day and say, Hey, I made it vogue and had people commit to you in a way that they didn't really want to. Now, I don't want to face Jesus with that. What I want to face Jesus with is there was the people that signed it, signed up with a heart alive and say, man, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm anything, but because of who Jesus is and his strength, I may fall 10,000 times, but I'm going to sign it and I'm going to give it all that I've got. If that's you, I'm going to, I want you to sign it. But here's the unique thing tonight. I'm going to pray. I want to pray. I want to pray that God would give us strength in the moment of persecution. Boldness in the day of mocking. In the hour, in the moment where you feel alone. Where you don't have all the comrades standing around with you ready to charge the castle. Where it's just you by yourself. I want to pray that you have strength. Paul prays it. Paul's like the toughest guy that I, we read about. And he says in Ephesians 6, 19, he goes, pray that I would preach the gospel fearlessly. Proverbs 28 says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. We want to be righteous and we want to be bold as lions no matter what takes place. Father, we come before you, Lord God, believing that you're raising up. An army of young people that will follow you no matter the cost. And God, in the easy days, like desperation days, and in the hard days that we will face in the next 362 days, God, we ask that you would give us boldness, strength, when we're laughed at. Strength when the scoffers arise. God, I pray for my friends. I pray, Lord Jesus, would you place such holy unction in them that they become fearless, that they become strong. What it means to be a soldier, to know God and to pray and to be holy and to be focused, Lord God, that they in, in, in difficult days would be warriors, that they would not recant, that they would not give up, that they would not slow down. I pray, Holy Spirit, come alive in each one of them. We want to live this thing.